At this time, we also have another special guest. Pastor Dennis Kang will be preaching for us today, and he is also, he happens to be the senior pastor at uh, the Gim Sending Church, so what a, what a special treat for us today. He is originally from the Bay Area and a graduate of UCLA and Westminster Seminary. He planted City Light Church in downtown uh, LA and is currently the senior pastor there. He lives in Eagle Rock with his wife, Nina, and three, uh, three kids. Please join me now in warmly welcoming Pastor uh, Dennis King. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks so much. It's, it's really great being here with you this morning. I'm going to read that scripture for us this morning. It's from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated at the, at, in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on the way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azostus, and he, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns till he came to Caesarea. Amen. It's a reading of the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning as we gather before you to hear your royal word. Your word is a light. It's a lamp. It, it rebukes us. It encourages us. It points us to Jesus. So we pray that this word would come alive. Use your servant to speak your words truthfully, faithfully. Help, it, help, help this word to motivate us to be on mission with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great joining you here this morning, Christ Central. Um, I, if you, have, if you don't know me, my roots go back to this church. I started ministering at Cerritos Presbyterian Church, which launched this ministry. And um, it's really great being back, seeing so many friends, so many youth group students who are now leaders. It's been amazing. 
Pastor Harold and I go way back. He, I was a high school student when I met him. Uh, pastor Dinko and I go way back. I was his high school pastor when I first met him. The first time I was ever introduced to Pastor Dinko was when he was arrested in high school. And now he's a pastor here in this ministry. So God has some stories, some tremendous stories of what he's doing in the lives of his people here. And so it's really great for me to be back. Right now I'm doing ministry in downtown Los Angeles. As Pastor Andrew talked about, I planted a church in downtown Los Angeles 15 years ago. And I love ministry in downtown because of the sheer diversity of the kinds of people. Downtown has is undergoing a renaissance. There are people moving into high-rises, condos. But downtown is also the capital of homelessness. We do ministry with people like Pastor Dan, who's here this morning at Union Rescue Mission. Um, and it's a tremendous confluence of different kinds of people. You have hipsters, you have homeless. You have all kinds of socioeconomic differences. But what I've seen ministering in downtown is that the gospel is relevant and powerful to every kind of person that I encounter. The gospel can cross any kind of culture. Today I want to talk about the power of the gospel to reach the furthest, the least, the last, the people that we might think would be least interested in the gospel. And we're going to see how God calls us into that ministry of crossing cultures, joining him in this great commission that he calls us to. Today we're going to look at how the gospel reaches this Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to see how he represented in many ways the person furthest culturally, even geographically, geographically from a first century Jewish person. And we're going to see how it's a model, his conversion is a model for God's plan to reach the ends of the earth. So today as we look at this passage, we, we, we want to look at three things about the gospel. Three things. We're going to look at first how the gospel crosses cultures. Secondly, how the gospel needs messengers. And third, the gospel cannot be contained. Those three things. And we're going to start with this idea of the gospel crosses cultures. The book of Acts is a history of the early church. It starts with a commission from Jesus who resurrected from the grave. And before he ascended to heaven, he gathered all of his people together and he commissions them. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this is the thesis of the whole history of Acts. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' mission, his commission, is he wants his believers to take the gospel, which is now only in Jerusalem, and to bring it to Judea and Samaria. That's the surrounding regions, even to the ends of the earth. So the gospel starts in Jerusalem. The apostles are there. They're preaching the gospel. People are coming to faith. But starting in chapter 8, persecution scatters the church. Uh, there's great persecution that hits the church. And the people, because of that persecution, scatter away from Jerusalem. We call this the diaspora. And as people scatter, something interesting happens. In verse 4, it says, Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. As people become refugees to other countries, to other regions, they not only leave Jerusalem, but they bring the gospel with them. These are ordinary Christians sharing the good news with other people. The persecution of the church backfires. The early uh, religious leaders 
and authorities, they want to clamp the message of the gospel down. They don't want it to spread anymore. But that backfires. The persecution, it unleashes the gospel. The gospel goes from Jerusalem to the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. In Acts 8, the focus is on Philip. Philip is one of the seven leaders that is commissioned by the early church. First, Philip starts preaching the gospel to Samaria. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that Samaria was a region surrounding Jerusalem. And this region was with, filled with Samaritans who were considered traitors, enemies. They, they wanted nothing to do. Jewish people had wanted nothing to do with them because they were religiously and ethnically mixed. Uh, and so Philip boldly begins preaching the gospel to Samaritans. And Samaritans become, start coming to faith. They start accepting Jesus as their Lord and King. But Philip's not done. God prompts Philip in this passage not only to take the gospel to Samaria, but also to Africa. So he goes on a road. He goes on a main road that leads from Jerusalem south toward Africa. And as he's traveling, he meets an Ethiopian man. Now, this is not an ordinary man. There's a lot of things about this man that makes him extraordinary. First thing about this man in verse 27, we read that he's an Ethiopian. The term Ethiopian doesn't refer to the nation of Ethiopia as we now know it, but it refers to all of Africa south of Egypt, but especially the African ancient nation of Nubia. In the Jewish mind in the first century, when people thought about Ethiopians, the first thing they likely thought about was the fact that he was black. In fact, that word Ethiopia uh, was used to refer to anything that was black. So in the Jewish mind, the first century mind, you thought about the Ethiopian, this was a black man that Philip encounters. Secondly, the second thing about this man was not only that he was a black man, but he was a treasurer of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. The title Kandake referenced the ancient kingdom of Moreau. This was a wealthy and ancient kingdom. This man handled money for a wealthy queen, of a powerful African nation. This would be like the head of the Federal Reserve in the United States. He's a black man. He's a powerful man, man with authority. But the next thing about him was that he was a eunuch. In the ancient world, often servants of the court, men were castrated. One of the reasons for that was that so that they could have no children, so that their total allegiance was to the king or the queen and the kingdom, their kingdom. Often eunuchs that worked closely with the queen were castrated also so they would pose no sexual threat to the queen, to her court. This, this would be someone who would be considered, in today's term, this would be someone who would be considered non-binary. They were considered neither male nor female. They were not considered either. They were sexually other. This was a black man. He was a wealthy, powerful man. He was a eunuch, sexually other. The final thing about him was that he was looking for God. He was looking for God. In fact, he had bought a scroll, which would have been very expensive, a handwritten scroll of Isaiah, which is a lengthy text. And he was reading it. In fact, he was going to Jerusalem because he wanted to worship. He needed to figure it out. This man explodes all the categories we tend to have for people seeking God. It's like if... This morning, you met a black transgender 
CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and they were looking to worship, what would you say to them? Does the gospel have anything to say to this individual? And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely, the gospel has something to say to them. Here in our, in our passage, God specifically prompts Philip to preach to this specific person. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that it can powerfully reach any kind of culture. The gospel is as powerfully relevant to someone living in Nairobi as it is to someone living in Los Angeles. The gospel is as powerfully relevant to a wealthy woman living in Paris as it is to a homeless person living in Calcutta. The gospel is good news to everyone. In my ministry at City Light, I meet all kinds of people. Uh, one, of our, one of our best members who ever was at our church, who tragically passed away a few years ago, his name was Mike Weber. And um, I know Pastor Dan's with us this, this morning, and he was, he was an individual that came to City Light Church and he was a large man. He was from the south. He was from Louisiana. And he's full of life, full of vigor. Uh, in his past life, he was a handicapped, he handicapped horse races. And he was a gambler, a professional gambler in some sense. He handicapped races. He was talking to me about all the soil that the horse trained on, taking samples of that, all the intricacies of it. He had come to Union Rescue Mission because he was an alcoholic. He, had, he was struggling with alcohol before he was he didn't have a lot of money and he, he was struggling with his health but along the way he became a christian and his life changed and he loved jesus loved singing about jesus he loved coming to church he loved serving he was a person uh, a man who had nothing in common with me he was from the south he had a totally different lifestyle he was living in a homeless shelter what does he have in common with the Asian American who grew up in the Bay Area? But the gospel was as powerful to him as it was to me. The gospel brought us together. Love ministering with him. You know, the gospel is so powerful that it can transcend any difference, any culture, any geography. And powerfully can bring together. It can restitch a new people together. That's the glory of God. The gospel can speak to any culture. For an Eastern culture, the gospel can say to a shame-based culture that Jesus has taken your shame. He was exposed on the cross. He has taken your shame, so now you can live in freedom and peace. You don't have to live in shame anymore. To an individualistic Western culture, the gospel can say God can free you from your sin, from the slavery of your sin. Come and be free in Christ. The gospel is relevant to an Eastern culture as it is to a Western culture. It speaks into every culture. When you read Christian historians, they would say that the center of Christianity historically has always shifted. The center, by that I mean where Christianity is growing and where people are sending out missionaries. It has historically always shifted. It started in the Middle East. Then the center shifted to Europe. Then it shifted to the United States where it grew and missionaries were sent. Now it's shifting to South America, to Asia. The future of Christianity almost certainly is in Africa. The Pew Research Center says that by, by, the, uh, by the year 2060, 40% of all Christians will be in Africa. The future of Christianity, global Christianity, is Africa. 
the, the center of Christianity historically always shift. And this is so different than the other major world religions like Buddhism or Islam. Those, wherever those religions started, that's where the center still is. That's where the movement still is. It hasn't shifted. And Christianity is always shifting from the north to the south, to the east, to the west. Christianity is always on the move. It doesn't have one single culture that it is imprisoned to. It explodes those categories. It transcends it. What we're seeing in the book of Acts is that the gospel is moving out into the world. It's crossing different cultures, reaching different people. It's as powerfully relevant to a black African man who is wealthy and sexually other as it was to a Jewish man living in the first century. Well, what does that mean for us practically? Well, there are people in your life you might think, man, they would never become Christian. I just don't think that'll ever happen. We might, when in fact they might be looking for God. Who are some people in your life that you would think they would never be interested in the gospel? Maybe it's a gay coworker. Maybe it's an unhoused person who lives down the street. And you might think, well, there's, there's no way they would come to God. But when we think that, we limit the power of God. We undermine, we underestimate the power of God's spirit to change, to move, to transform. God loves to call the least likely people. That's why he loved to eat with prostitutes and thieves. He loved to befriend them. And he loved when they turned to Christ. They were trophies of his grace and of his, of his power. Those who the world rejected, Jesus accepted. Well, what about you? How are you with loving the other? What we find was the Ethiopian eunuch, surprisingly, he was looking for God. But what did he need? This is the second point. The gospel needs messengers. God directs Philip to providentially meet with this Ethiopian eunuch. This is someone who is spiritually curious. In fact, in verse 27, it says the reason that he's going to Jerusalem was to worship. The man was probably riding in a large covered wagon with a driver driving him. In verse 29, the spirit tells Philip to go over to the chariot and join him. Notice this isn't Philip's idea. He didn't come up with this plan. This is God's plan. This is God's idea. God says to Philip, Philip, I, I need you to do something for me. Go and find this man. And he runs alongside this chariot. And as he runs alongside him, he hears this man reading from the Old Testament. He's someone spirit, spiritually curious. He's bought this scroll of Isaiah. He's reading it out loud. So Philip begins with a question. It's a simple question. Sometimes the best way to engage someone spiritually, missionally, is simply ask good questions. That's a great introduction to anybody. And he asks him a question. And he asks them if he understands the thing that he's reading. The Ethiopian eunuch says this in verse 31. How can I unless someone explains it to me? If you ever read the Old Testament, you know that parts of it is they're really hard to understand. So he's reading from a section in Isaiah 53. We call this the servant songs. He's describing a shocking death of a man who's humiliated and deprived of justice. So the Ethiopian eunuch asked Isaiah a question. Is Isaiah talking about himself when he's talking about this man who dies a brutal death? 
Or is he talking about someone else? I'm not sure what, what this is about. So Philip uses this opportunity to, to tell him the good news about Jesus. He says, he probably says to this, this Ethiopian eunuch, you know, this is a message about this person, Jesus. Jesus would be like a sheep led to the slaughter. He would be humiliated and tried. And he would be cut off at the cross. Jesus did all of that for us. Out of love for us. And by his wounds, we're healed. Isaiah later goes on to say that Jesus, because of the sacrifice has brought healing. The Ethiopian eunuch wouldn't be able to understand Isaiah, all of that without this man, Philip. John Stott says that God has given mankind two gifts, the Bible and secondly, teachers who can help explain what the Bible says to people. That's why pastors exist, but it's not just pastors. That's why ordinary Christians exist. You know, in Acts chapter 8, it says that the It's not pastors who go go about preaching the word and people come to faith. But it says that all the people, they scatter the diaspora and they bring with them the gospel. The gospel went out to the surrounding regions, not just through pastors, but ordinary Christians who explained the good news to others. We are all called to be those who are scattered, who like to explain that good news. If you've ever been to a hotel or a motel, while you're traveling, you probably, and I always do this because I'm a pastor, you probably open up the, uh, a door in that hotel. And what's there at the nightstand? It's usually a Bible. Uh, and that Bible is there because of the Gideon International Society Association. It was founded in 1899. Anytime a hotel, even to this day, opens a new, there's a new hotel that opens, the Gideon Society, they bring that hotel or motel free Bibles to place in every room in the hotel. And it's been, been something that has just been going on for over 100 years. But after all my years in ministry, I've yet to meet someone. I'm sure it happens, but I've yet to meet someone who was at a hotel, had nothing to do, opened up the Bible, read part of the Bible, and came to faith. That's probably happened at some point, but I've never heard of it because it's really rare. Because just like or uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, you can read the Bible, but how can you understand it unless someone is there to explain it to you? You know, there's a lot, likely a lot of people in your life right now who are spiritually curious. And I found that throughout the pandemic, especially non-Christians and the people I meet around me. A lot of people are now spiritually curious because the world's falling apart and they need hope. They need meaning. There are probably people in your life who are spiritually curious, but what do they need? They need someone to explain that good news to them. In that same section of Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. How beautiful is the person who can tell that good news. One of the reasons God has, a, has you exactly in the place where you are is so that you can bring good news to the people around you. Think about all the non-Christians around you, all the people that you work with. How do you think they're ever going to come to faith unless someone like you shares the good news with them? Think about all of those faces. Put a name to it. Do you really think they're going to be going to a hotel 
one day on vacation, open up the Bible, read the book of Exodus, and, and say to themselves, oh, I get this book of Exodus. This is about how Jesus is the new Moses. He's come to free us from spiritual bondage, and he's brought us to the promised land, heaven. Probably they won't probably come to that conclusion. Probably read the book of Exodus and think, man, this man Moses was pretty angry. He had a lot of things going on. How, how do you think the people around you don't know Christ will ever know the gospel unless someone like you explains it to them? Just like the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? You know, one prayer that I've learned to pray as I planted a church was this prayer. Lord, put me in the path of someone you are already working on. Lord, I know you're working around people around me. I see it all the time. Put me on the path with someone you are already working in. And help me be a friend to them and love them. Not just with my words, but with my actions, with my life. Help me like Philip, come run alongside them. Ask them questions. One of the ways we do this is not just as individuals, but as a church. We do this together as a community. Maybe we're, we're not gatherers and Maybe we're introverts, but as people come to church, maybe we're not Christians. We're called to love them, to pray for them, to welcome them in the Lord. Secondly, practically, we're called, we're called to support those who are going out literally to the ends of the world, earth. People like the Gims, John and Carol. John, John was an ordinary Christian. He was, he's not a pastor. He dropped everything to move his family halfway around the world. Not all of us can do that, but what we can do is we can support those who do do that, missionaries. And as they go, we go to the ends of the earth. We're all called to be on mission here in Southern California, even to the ends of the earth. Now, here's the final thing. A lot of that seems difficult for us to do. How do we do that? What can motivate that? And here's the last point we're going to look at. The gospel cannot be contained. When the Ethiopian eunuch hears this good news of the gospel, he's ecstatic. Hears this good news and his heart opens up. It's joy. He receives Jesus as his king, as his Lord. And he's so excited that he tells Philip, Philip, I see some water there. Let's get baptized. I should be baptized right now. I cannot wait. Baptism is a sealing ordinance. In some sense, it makes what he experienced official. It's a public it's a sealing ordinance, and, and the Ethiopian eunuch cannot wait. He needs to have that. And so Philip baptizes him. The Ethiopian eunuch becomes the first non-Jewish convert to Christianity. He's a sign of greater things to come. The gospel would advance from this moment, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. The rest of the book of Acts the rest of the Bible is about how the gospel is now moving to the ends of the earth. This conversion is part of the bigger plan that God has first promised in Genesis 12. Remember the promise God told Abraham? He says to Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. That God's plan has always been global. Not one nation, all nations. The Ethiopian eunuch is part of the plan coming together. The ends of the earth. People from every culture. 
They're coming to faith. And we know that that dream will become a reality. In Revelation 7, it says that gathered before the throne, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation will be gathered together in white-hot worship. And this Ethiopian eunuch is a sign of that promise coming true. God's plan is to restitch a broken humanity, people from every different nation and culture and background, to restitch them back together to be one people of God. That is God's plan. The gospel cannot be contained in one area, in one region, in one nation. The gospel is always moving, it's always reaching. And we're called to be part of that plan. Finally, if you understand the gospel, you too should not be able to contain the gospel within yourself. You have to share it with others. We see this is the motivation of the early apostles. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the gospel. The Sanhedrin, they're really upset with the apostles because the message is spreading. So they bring them before the court because they want to clamp them down. They want to clamp the message down. So they warn, they threaten Peter and John. They said, don't ever preach this again or else. This is the response of the apostles, Acts 4, 19 to 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter said, we're not going to stop sharing the gospel. You can threaten us. You can kill us. You can threaten to kill us. We're not stopping. Why does he say that? He says, we cannot help but share what we have seen and heard. Peter, before Jesus went to the cross, remember he was cowering in fear. He was afraid. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't sharing anything. But what happened to Peter? Well, Peter met the resurrected Jesus. He saw that Jesus has conquered sin and death. But secondly, he saw how Jesus forgave him for all of his denials and betrayals. He commissioned him to go out to love his people, to spread that word. Peter encountered the profound grace of God. For Peter, it wasn't a message. It was a person, the person of Jesus, full of power and grace. For Peter, after this moment, he couldn't help but stop. He couldn't help but share that good news with other people. For Peter, the message of the gospel wasn't an abstract principle. It wasn't four spiritual laws, but it was a person that he loved. And whenever Peter preached this message, he saw how it not only changed him, but other people around him. What motivates us to share the story of Jesus, to cross cultures, is Jesus. We have to be moved by the person of Jesus and the power of his grace. It has to become beautiful to us. The gospel has to become not just a message, not just truth, but Jesus has to become beautiful to us. Because anything that is beautiful, we need to share. We have to share. That's why this summer, if you took a a vacation to Paris or Italy and you took pictures, what do you do with that? You have to share it. You've got to put it on Instagram. You have to tell other people about it. Part of the joy of that experience is sharing that with other people. That's why I would dare say this. I would dare say this to you. If you're not sharing Jesus with other people, the reason for that is that you don't really in your heart of heart think that Jesus is beautiful. You think truths about Jesus, that he was the son of God, that he died for you. But you don't think Jesus is beautiful. Because if you did, 
like the apostles, you couldn't help but share about the beauty that is Jesus. So as we close, I would say this. If we're not sharing the gospel, it's not that, that's not the place to start. The place to start is that we need to re-experience the gospel in the person of Jesus. We need to see his beauty and his power until it changes us. Can we see the beauty of Jesus this morning? You know, the greatest gap culturally is not the, the gap between human beings about race, culture, politics. There's, those are all things that separate us. Social, economic, class. Those are big barriers. But the biggest barrier is the barrier between a holy and sovereign God and sinful men. That's the biggest gap. But God transcended the greatest gap by sending us Jesus. Jesus transcended every barrier. He came down to earth. What was the mission of Jesus? I love to explain it like this. Jesus' mission is to come to earth, kick hell out. Jesus has come to kick the hell out of hell, to take all the evil, the racism, the injustice, all that is ugly and untrue in this life. He's come to kick it out of this earth. And he's come to bring heaven down, the beauty of heaven, the glory of heaven. Jesus has come to live with us. He's reconciled us through the cross. When you, take up, when you think about your sins, do this exercise. Think about all the sins you've ever sinned, every bad thing that you have ever done, and stack them up. If they're sheets of paper, stack them up. How high would that be? Probably as tall as a very tall building. Now multiply that by 100. Man, that's that's very tall. But you know, that's nothing that has, that, 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 that the grace of God, the mercy of God is far greater than any of those sins. Even if you multiply it by 100, that has nothing on the grace of God, the mercy of God. You know, if you're feeling unworthy this morning, well, you're the perfect candidate to be evangelist. Peter felt unworthy. He had denied Jesus three times. He turned his back on Jesus, but God loved him. You know, God loves to restore, to renew. God loves to welcome those people who have no excuses left. And he loves to forgive them and restore them. And he loves to use them as trophies of his grace and his power. And God says to us this morning what the book of Isaiah says two things. Isaiah says, as he experiences the mercy of God, he says, here am I, send me. Send me. Isaiah had this profound experience of forgiveness because he realized he's a person of unclean lips. And as God forgave him, he says, here am I, send me. And that's the key. We need to experience that grace. We need to experience the mercy of God. And God will say of us, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Would you experience that blessing? Would your feet, as you experience the beauty of Jesus, the wonder of his grace, would you be a bearer of that good news to others? Would we partner with others in sending the gospel? The gospel cannot be contained. Not here, not now. We'd be part of the beautiful joy of bringing that good news to others. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning as we gather before you. And we pray, God, that you would, you would forgive us for all the ways that we are ashamed of something so beautiful, so true. Forgive us for 
not acknowledging you. And like Peter, sometimes we're ashamed of you. And Lord, we realize that we need to re-experience the beauty of Jesus. Like Peter, like Isaiah, we need to have this experience of your grace, which is profound. We need to not only see our sin, but how your grace surpasses all of our sin. We need to experience your wonder, your love. And I pray as we do that, that we would be sent out as ambassadors, that people would say of us, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Pray that that would be true of Christ Central. We pray that that would be true of all gospel-believing churches until we gather with all the saints from every tribe, tongue, nation as we proclaim that Jesus Christ, he is our Lord. He's our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.